friends and welcome to another edition of dan and benny in the ring i'm dan spashan i'm joined as always by the bs express himself benny scala benny how you doing buddy dan i am very excited episode number 61 and like emerson lake and palmer say welcome back my friends to the show that never ends <laughs> i love it you know uh last show benny we talked a lot about a uh particular show coming up that we or I should say uh, that just came uh, happened over the weekend. We're recording this on the eighth of Mar- uh, March, and um, you wanted to give a special shout out to some friends of ours. And of course, we want to uh, bounce it before we get to talking to our special guest. We want to bounce a quick shout out to our sponsor. They were busy this weekend, so uh, go for it. Yeah. So on Saturday night, March fifth, in Mount Airy, North Carolina, it was the AIWF, and it was there. I believe the promoter's name is Rick Diesel. Uh, their 30th anniversary show, and many of Jimmy's students at Boogie's Wrestling Camp, BWC, actually made their uh, professional wrestling debut. Uh, They had a battle royal, and from uh, the feedback I've gotten from Jimmy, everything was perfect. They all shined. Uh, It was a sellout crowd, so anybody who showed up, thank you very much, but onwards and upwards for BWC. Absolutely, and speaking of the BWC, many, uh, what's the good word? All right, well, this show, Dan and Benny in the Ring, is brought to you by Boogie's Wrestling Camp. Founded in 1992 by wrestling legend Jimmy Valiant, his beautiful wife, Angel. BWC is situated in majestic, scenic Shawsville, Virginia, which is 30 miles north of Parts Unknown, as we said. Uh, whether you want to be a wrestler, manager, announcer, valet, BWC is the place to be. At BWC, you'll receive the best possible training from Jimmy and his amazing staff. You'll learn holes, bumps, psychology, and promos. And the cost is just $250 down and $20 per session. You can't beat that. Boogie's Wrestling Camp has turned out 29 graduating classes. The most notable alumnus being AEW world champion, Hangman Adam Page. When you join BWC, you're not just joining a wrestling school. Uh, you become a part of the family, which I can attest to personally. Interested? Visit jimmyvaliant.weebly.com for more information on Boogie's Wrestling Camp. BWC, the ring of dreams, where the dream becomes reality. And tell them Dan and Benny sent you. Absolutely. We uh, wish them nothing but the best. They continue to be a great partner for us. You know, last week, Benny, we had Scott Storm on. And joking with him, I I told him uh, that I'd love to see him incorporate being a dentist into his gimmick <laughs> and he did, did he not swear up and down oh, to us? I saw it myself. There's you know, the, the, the dentist and, and Scott storm are going to be two different people, but I'll tell you what, I, I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm glad that, that oh, maybe you, uh, you should take credit for it. Cause I mean, the, the man put the white coat on and he did he, the extraction. I was just about to say he, he, he put the white shirt on, pulled the, pulled the, the tools out and, and tried to pull some teeth. Whatever that match. instrument is, he'd be, yeah. It was uh, it was great stuff. And one of the things we talked a lot with Scott about was obviously his time at the BWC and training. And speaking of trainers, Benny, we got another wonderful talent on the line with us. Why don't you tell everybody who we're talking to tonight? This gentleman actually started wrestling in the late 1980s, and here he is still going strong. Uh, been worked for many, many different federations. So we, we gladly welcome Mr. Uh, Jimmy Gennetti. Jimmy, welcome to Dan and Benny in the ring. 
Ah, gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your time as always, Jimmy. Uh, we're going to get started. Something, it comes up every week. Benny and I love to talk about it because it's a different answer. Everybody's got such a unique story. So I'm going to get to you. Benny mentioned you started wrestling in the 80s, but I got to know, when did the... When did the wrestling bug get you as a fan? When did were you watching it and said, this is what I love, this is what I'm going to do? Uh, honestly, I was born in 72. Uh, I was a wrestling fan probably at the age of 10. Uh, by the time I was able, I, I wasn't allowed to watch it. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I was eight years old, uh, and, and yeah, my grandfather was an avid wrestling fan uh always had the wrestling matches on uh, uh on the weekend on tv um but was never allowed to take me to the matches until i was 12 years old uh for some reason they thought that was the appropriate age my parents thought that was the appropriate age to go to one of the shows uh, at the philadelphia spectrum uh, so from that point on uh, i i was a wrestling fan uh i had found Roddy Piper, uh, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. And, and from then on, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So you're, you actually, I, I believe, I'm trying to construct a timeline. Were you, were you able to watch uh, All-Star and Championship Wrestling with uh, Joe McHugh and Gary Capetta? Uh, I was I, I didn't get that. Uh, by the time I started, was able to watch 1980. It had already switched yeah. over. You ready uh, to WWF? Okay. And um, it switched over technically in '79. So by that time, I don't know if it was still called Championship Wrestling. By the time I was able to watch, um, but it was 1980. So I'm a, I don't exactly know what it was called, but that's yeah, those, those are what I was watching. Uh, I. I Backlund and and all those guys dearly missed. The, I mean, the format of those shows was pretty much you know five or six squash matches and interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, all yeah. like you know, superstar Billy Graham would wrestle Silvano Souza and it would last two or three minutes, or Frankie Williams or one of those guys, and then you know Vince would do all the interviews to uh, you know hype up the next show at the Spectrum or the Garden or you know Boston Garden wherever it was, but it worked for so many years. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's, I mean, that's technically what television was for uh, back then, was to promote the live shows uh, and for people to come out to those live shows. And whether it was uh, down in Memphis where it was weekly uh, or if it was up north where they were uh, monthly by that point, uh, by the time I was able to watch, because they, they would only come to the Spectrum uh, during the month. Now, they were other places in Pennsylvania, um, they were taping in Allentown and they were taping Hamburg, right? um, uh, Hamburg and uh, they were doing shows. They would do side shows, uh, you know, all throughout Pennsylvania and New York uh, and New Jersey. Um, but technically it was only once a month for, for the uh, Philadelphia Spectrum. Right. So, yeah. So any of those television shows, that was basically all we had had was that uh was that show at that time frame uh, there wasn't any other wrestling there uh it wasn't until 
maybe 85 or 86 until I started uh, tape trading with people to where I could find videotapes of Memphis and world class. And um, eventually we got uh, the NWA on television. And then after that, we were lucky enough to get uh, UWF. Uh, which was out of Oklahoma for the old Mid-South. Mid-South uh, Evolved, yeah. Uh, and that was my some of my favorite uh, watching. Uh, I was became a huge fan of Eddie Gilbert uh, in stuff. that. Yeah, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. And Missy Hyatt. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> beautiful Missy Hyatt. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so that was... Uh, uh, those were, were my shows. And I even I even tried to, uh, the UWF had a training school. And I even tried to apply, uh, and this was 86, I was 14, way too young. And and they they wrote me a letter back, you're way too young and <laughs> keep going. And, and, you know, when you turn 18, please contact us again. Uh, and that never happened. Obviously, they had sold way before that. But either way, but uh, the wrestling bug had had bit me. Um, I was lucky enough to find. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, Joel Goodhart. Uh, that name does sound ran, familiar. Uh, ran a, he ran a, a wrestling radio show in Philadelphia, um, and he ran a wrestling fan club. Uh, called the Squared Circle Fan Club, where they would uh, take bus trips to go out to different matches um, for the NWA, the AWA, and, and all that things. Uh, and they also ran uh, luncheons with some of the wrestlers. They would bring the wrestlers in, uh, have a question and answer session, photos and autographs and so forth. So uh, that's basically where I had began uh, uh, my career in meeting Joel Goodhart. Um, he was a ring announcer uh, on the weekends and he would go to different shows and do ring announcing. And I, at 14 years old, uh, would go with him and follow him around. And I was his gopher or the, the backstage gopher uh, at that age. Um, basically did that and photography also took pictures uh, for, for the guys uh, to be able to sell uh, during intermission with their promo pictures. Um, and that's basically where my career began. So uh, what you said you went to your first show at 12, so that would have been 1984 and you mentioned right. Roddy Piper. So was, was, was that the moment that you decided that, that, that I'm going to, you know, you morph from the fan to the, the potential professional wrestler when you saw Piper? Yeah, I, 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 I was quoting a lot of his promos. Uh, my parents thought I was crazy. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, – I knew uh, basically because he I, – I, I guess – and actually, I'm, I'm a smaller guy frame-wise. I'm not, uh, I'm six foot, so I'm not, it's not like I'm a short guy. Right. But frame-wise, I'm not, I'm not a Hulk Hogan. I'm not a, I've never been that size, never wanted to be that size. 
Uh, Piper was not that size. Piper yeah. was, he was, he was built, but he wasn't like uh, road warriors or ultimate warrior, that type of. Well, he was uh, a six, six foot, maybe 225, 230. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and basically it was, you know, he, he was, again, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't small, but he wasn't that massive. And Eddie Gilbert's the same way. Eddie Gilbert's a little shorter. He was five, eight, uh, but still, you know, a, a normal size guy. And, and I think that's what, you know, attracted me to it because I could see like, okay, you don't have to be Superman to go out there and, and be able to, to uh, match up with Superman. So, no, no, and especially like a, a Piper, um, you right. know, he, I mean, he was a complete package, but, and somebody like Eddie Gilbert, there was something about them that the, the persona and the way they carried themselves and the promos, it kind of right. made them taller because, you know, Piper versus Hogan, you never thought, well, it's going to be a squash match. I mean, you, I mean, a lot of people legitimately believe that Piper could possibly beat Hogan for the title. Yeah, absolutely. And was a, a fan of his. I was hoping to see that every time I saw them in the ring. Uh, it never happened, but uh, and I understand why now, unfortunately. But either way, uh, but yeah. So it just showed me that you know you didn't have, like I said, you didn't have to be Superman to go against Superman. Um, you could be a normal sized person and, and and still have that ability to get in there and and do what you need to do that was very much going against the grain in the mid 80s to be a fan of the heels it was it was but philadelphia philadelphia i'm sure as you have heard of philadelphia was originally the only uh, football stadium that had a jail in the right in the the bottom of it so yeah we, we philadelphia people were not were not uh good guy oriented so, and I was, I was well aware of that. So yeah, I was a fan of the horsemen, uh, growing up, uh, Tully Blanchard, uh, a big fan of Tully Blanchard. Um, so yeah, I was, I was gravitated towards the bad guys. <laughs> I was not a fan of Hulk Hogan that saying your prayers and eating your vitamins thing was always, you know. Uh, garbage to me. So. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you know, I mean, look, as 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 a, as a what was I, twelve, fourteen, uh, in that time frame of that, it, it it just didn't appeal to me. Piper did. Philadelphia has always had that unique fan base as well. I mean, you think about the reputation that anybody who's ever been to an Eagles game or or a Phillies game, or even like Flyers. right around. Well, I mean, you figure around this time, the eighties, when, when hockey was slowly evolving into more slower or excuse me, smaller finesse players, you know, Philadelphia put together a line called the Legion of doom, like and the broad, the broad street bullies. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and don't forget uh, the, the, the flyers helped the, their, their role in winning the cold war when they went out on the ice and just mugged the Soviet team. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, but, I was a, a huge fan of the Flyers and still am. They don't but, fight oh, as much now, but <laughs> no, no, not as much. I, I want to kind of sidetrack for a second. You, when you were telling the story, you said something that, that 
stuck out to me. You you mentioned your grandfather being a huge fan of wrestling, and it comes up a lot when we talk to the older fan bases and people from from the the seventies and eighties, the the era you you got into wrestling. The fan bases had a much older tone to them. I mean, we talked about uh, you know you look at the tapes of of Florida and Memphis and. Uh, and any of the the NWA Crockett as you go further north, and there's always there's always the old lady in the crowd swing, you know, so the old man swinging his umbrella at, at one of the heels or whatever. I, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on on what was it about the product at the time versus the younger crowds wrestling targets today that that brought out would bring somebody like your grandfather to a wrestling show. It was. They painted it more legitimate back then. Now it's 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 unfortunately it it is what it is. Um, and I think the the even older people now are, are just like you know what is this Gaga that these kids are doing? Um, it it was it was more of a legitimate contest back then, and uh, people believed these bad guys, when they said, you know, oh, I'm going to kill this, I'm going to kill this good guy, you know, whatever, these people believed it. And they were actually going out there to support whoever it was that, you know, Bruno or uh, Backlund or, uh, you know, whoever else was. Um, I remember my grandfather going to one of the shows and he was he was yelling so loud at Baron Mikel Sakluna, one of my favorites. Yeah, you know, and and I love Baron Mikel Sakluna. Absolutely, I, I remember watching one match uh, where Dick Worley, who was a referee uh, in the Northern uh, Territories, uh, he basically police mugged Baron Mikel Sakluna in the corner, trying to look for the foreign object that that he had, uh, and it ended up being in his mouth. And he never found it. I love that guy. But that, to me, these, you know, the the bad guys seemed more legitimate. Um, the the uh, contests seemed more legitimate. And I think that's what they went out for, uh, as far as my grandfather went. So. In defense of Baron Sakluna, I'm sorry, Dan. No, you're fine, Benny. Go ahead. No, I was going to say in defense of Baron Sakluna, you know, he had that roll of quarters in his trunks. But what people didn't understand was that he was being a good Samaritan. That was for the fans. If any of them had to make a phone call after the matches or they had to do their laundry. That man was very misunderstood. He he, he was quite misunderstood, uh, especially by Dick World. He probably, you know, just he was trying to, what are you doing to these people? But uh it was I, I love that. I love that back then. And, and uh, in later years, uh, my grandfather had found uh, Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And he would just sit there and laugh the entire time. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't about anything that, that, you know, I had seen before of him being at a wrestling match um, at wrestling matches. I've never seen him laugh and, and that. But. When he found the Glow Girls, he he laughed throughout the entire matches. Uh, that he he enjoyed watching those, and, and 
Uh, I was lucky enough to actually do work for uh, the GLOW organization uh, before I started wrestling. Uh, they came to Philadelphia as a, as a show, uh, and I was one of the people that put up the ring and, and uh, did some backstage work. And, and so I was able to tell the girls uh, of how he enjoyed them. Uh, and they took pictures, and, and I ended up showing him. And he was he was very happy. Unfortunately, he couldn't go to that match, but uh, but he still got to see it, so that was good. Very nice, very nice. You know, you you were telling the story. You tried to get into the wrestling business a little before before your time. They told you you were too young. When yeah. when the time came that you you were old enough and you started to get into it. Who who was it that, that that you started training under? Who who trained you as far as wrestling? And can you get into maybe a little story on that of of when you started to actually hit the road? No, no pun intended. Run the ropes and, and start training to be a wrestler. Right. Originally, it was it was supposed to be the bounty hunter, um, who's an up in uh, in the York, Pennsylvania area, um, and uh, I didn't drive. I, when I started training, I started training at an early age, uh, even though I did try to get into the UWF uh, training camp and was too young. Um, through Joel Goodhart, he had started uh, Ringmasters Wrestling School when he had started the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. So that was my in there, uh, even though I was 15, 16 at the time. Uh, I was, uh, through permission of my parents, I was able to train and, and start off. Um, and uh, it ended up Larry Winters uh, and Ron Shaw were the trainers. Oh, big Ron Shaw. Uh, yeah, uh, the original trainers of Ringmasters. Uh, more so Larry uh, than Ron at the time. Uh, Ron still had a, a daytime job. Uh, he was a bus driver. Um, but it was able to come around more uh, uh, later on. And, uh, but Larry Winters was uh, my original trainer. He's the one that, that uh, uh, my first bumps, uh, any of the uh, technical wrestling, the basics, running the ropes, as you said, uh, coming off the top rope, uh, any of that. Um, and yeah, he, uh, God bless Larry. He's, he's, he's passed on now. Um, but he was, uh, originally I wasn't, obviously, you know, you're starting out, you're, you're very young. I was not good <laughs> in any way, shape or form. Uh, but he stuck with me and, and God bless him. He, he above and beyond. Uh, and we became friends and, and, uh, I would constantly, uh, as I shadowed Joel Goodhart before I started, uh, training, uh, to go to shows and be a gopher. Uh, I then gravitated towards Larry, uh, to be a gopher and go to shows with him. Um, you know, even like three, four or five months into training. Uh, and just to go to shows in case there was a battle royal, they would throw me in. Or uh, if they didn't have somebody to beat up, <laughs> I was there. I was. 
So I, and before, I guess, actually before my first paid match, I was in the ring probably more, more times than, than I could count. Uh, lucky enough to, to be going with him. And so it was, I was really blessed in that, in that aspect. Um, and, and also blessed because Joel Goodhart was such a fan uh, of the wrestling business and old school wrestling. Uh, he was not a fan of WWF. Uh, so when he started the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, he started to bring in a lot of legend matches or matches that Philadelphia and the Northeast had never seen before. Uh, matches like Jerry Lawler and Kerry Von Erich uh, or Tully Blanchard and Paul Orndorff. Um, what else? Bruno San Martino with David San Martino against the uh, Larry Zabisco and Paul E. Dangerously. It, matches like that. There was people, uh, I was in the locker room with guys like Owen Hart, uh, with Kevin Von Erich, Eddie Gilbert, Cactus Jack, um, Abdul the Butcher. He had Joel Goodhart brought in uh, Abdul the Butcher versus the original Sheik inside wow. a steel cage. Damn. Uh, I, have, I have been busted open by the original Sheik. Uh, I wasn't as happy about it at the time as I can say now. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, Sabu in his first matches up in, in, in anywhere were in the Philadelphia area, Tri-State Wrestling. And Tri-State Wrestling was the beginning or the precursor uh, to ECW. Right. Uh, when Joel Goodhart uh, left the wrestling business, Todd Gordon took over. And this was actually 30 years ago on the 25th of February was the very first ECW. And that was Eastern Championship Wrestling. It wasn't extreme at that time. Right. Uh, but it was the first ECW matches was 30 years ago, uh, probably two weeks ago, not even. So uh, I was blessed, very blessed to be in, uh, in the locker room with that kind of talent, being able to talk to them and listen uh, to their stories and, and what it was. And, uh, it, it, I was very blessed at the time that guys that even three or four years after me came, uh, that were training were not able to do. So... That's incredible. Well, let me ask you something to expand on. When you started coming up through the business and you were you mentioned earlier your your love of like Piper. And before we, we started recording, you talked about starting off as a face versus the, the heel you, you characters you'd end up being more known for. Was there any wrestlers at the time that influenced your your style or how you wanted to learn when you started getting into the business? Uh, originally, I, I did not go by the Jimmy Janetti name. So uh, I was originally going to go by Radical Randy and try to do more of a Piper type character. Not a character, but uh, that style 
which was very unpredictable. And, and that was part of his thing is, is uh, even though he wasn't Superman, you never knew what he was going to do. He, there was no time at, at all. Would you ever look at any Piper match and go, well, that's the same thing he did in this, in this other match. Cause you don't see it. You know, it's not like a John Cena where he drops the, uh, belly to back suplex, you know, uh, each, at least one time during a thing. Piper didn't have that. Uh, he started to use the sleeper more and more, but he was more unpredictable than anything else. And I tried to do that originally. Um, and they said that that wouldn't work well as a face. And I didn't want to be a good guy. <laughs> I really didn't. As a, as a, as a Philadelphian who grew up, you know, liking the bad guys and liking the thing, I, I didn't want to be a good guy. And, and trying to be a good guy in Philadelphia. Um, and, and I think honestly, that's, they, they were ribbing me originally that they gave me the Jimmy Gennetti name. Uh, knowing how hard it would be to get over as a face in Philadelphia, especially, you know, I was wrestling in front of guys that I had known, you know, for the past five years of going to matches and, and uh, being a fan with. Uh, and yeah, even my friends were booing me. <laughs> so it was impossible to get over as a face. And I think that was the rip that they were playing on me was to, to, to be the good guy. Um, so when I, I had to get that name and, and I had to adapt, uh, I did start watching more rock and roll express, uh, rockers, um, and, and to some extent, Barry Windham, uh, I liked Barry Windham a lot and his style. Uh, so I tried to morph those things in there. And a lot of times I was, I was doing, dives out of the ring in 1989 and 1990. Um, you know, and, and, uh, today I talked to, uh, when I trained kids today and even when I was training kids back, uh, for Jimmy Valiant, um, I would tell them, you know, don't jump out of the ring so much and, and all these other, and they said, well, well, you did it when you were at, yes, I did. But, I didn't do it every match. I didn't do it with every person. And when I did it, it made sense. I didn't just jump out of the ring and have somebody waiting there to catch me. So it, it, it was different at that point. Um, and a lot of it was unknown stuff. I was getting tapes from Japan. So I was trying to, to adapt some of that uh, into my style. Um, I was part of a tag team very early. Uh, so I, we tried to incorporate, uh, and he was a, he was a bigger guy, uh, the rock and rebel at the time. He was, uh, six, two and, uh, probably about two forty. Um, so we did the more little guy, big guy tag team deal, uh, for a while. So it, it, a lot of the, there's a lot of people that went into my style, not as many as I wanted, I wanted to do more of a Piper, more of an Eddie Gilbert type uh, deal. And it was after I had turned heel that I was able to do that more. 
Jimmy, where did your travels lead you after Philadelphia? I'm sure you've been all over the country. I mean, have you wrestled outside of the United States? And um, do you have any good stories, on, you know, the good road stories? Oh, yeah. I, well, uh, I have wrestled. The, uh, I wrestled in Canada. I, I never really wanted to go to Mexico. Um, it really wasn't my style. I'm not a Lucha Libre guy. Um in Japan and I don't, I don't fly well. <laughs> so Amen. a lot of, a lot of my, uh, my travels I've done by car, uh, going to the West coast. I did fly more times than drove, but, uh, I actually preferred driving, uh, doing that because I could go and set up, uh, the whole way matches going up, stay there, you know, a week do a tour, and then set matches all the way back. Sure. Uh, and, and so it was, you know, if I was flying, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I, I enjoyed that more. Um, but I have wrestled in Canada. Uh, I liked most of the time to be there. If I wasn't driving, if I was riding with somebody else, I enjoyed it more because I hate driving in the snow. Um, but yeah, the one I, we had we had one show or one weekend. It was, it was the most, one of the most ridiculous weekends I think that we had had. Um, I wrestled, used to wrestle for, uh, MEWF, which was out of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Dennis Whipwrecked was the promoter there. And, uh, uh after, uh, well, let me start here. Uh, Tri-State, after Tri-State had closed, ECW had started. Um, and that was 92, uh, Todd Gordon and I didn't get along very well. He wanted me to be on the team of trashing Joel Goodhart for him leaving and, and closing tri-state and that type thing. And I was, I was friends with Joel before the business. I, I, there was no way I was going to trash the man. Uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been where I was at the time. So I wasn't going to uh, to turn around and trash him. And, and there was a lot of problems uh, with ECW. Todd was not a, a wrestling guy. He was not in the business beforehand. He was a, he was a money guy um, during Tri-State. So uh, when he decided to open ECW, he would try to get in and, and suggest what matches should be and, and instead of the booker and it was just a, it was a, not a fun time uh, for me, the early ECWs. Uh, they didn't really know what to do with me. I was in more tag teams than, uh, than I could say. Uh, probably I had at least 10 different tag team partners uh, through my ECW wow. time. And, and, yeah, a lot of it was just they would bring a guy in for one time. Excuse me. Yeah, Chris Michaels, uh, they would bring in. And they thought it was funny to, to put Chris Michaels and Jimmy Gennetti together in a tag team uh, at the time when the Rockers had just broken up. Um, so, yeah, it was it was not a fun time in ECW. And, and I then started to branch off and go into Maryland and Delaware uh, work for the ECWA with Jim Kentner, uh, working for um, 
Axel Rotten actually in uh, the Wrestling Independent Network, and there was three or four different organizations in Maryland and West Virginia, uh, and I started to basically move south as as that started to go, um, and I still came and, and wrestled, you know, in, in areas in Philadelphia uh, after leaving ECW. Uh, for Liberty All-Star Wrestling, which was out of Philadelphia, and uh, Dino Sana was a promoter up there and working for the NWA with Dennis uh, Carluzzo in Jersey. Um, so it was, uh, I, but generally I was more moving south. But uh, the one show that we had, we did a show in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, Friday night for uh, MEWF. Then we did an early afternoon PW <clears throat> show. Um, we then went from that early afternoon ECW show and drove five and a half hours to Connecticut in a car that did not, uh, it was a uh, convertible top and the convertible top did not fit correctly. So it, basically the windows were open the entire time. And it was going through Philadelphia, Connecticut, or New York and Connecticut, uh, below freezing and snowing with the windows open. Uh, so it was quite fun. But we went to Connecticut four and a half hours and wrestled there uh, two different times because a lot of people didn't show up because of the snow. We then drove back through, and I remember I was sleeping in the car, and the driver pulled in to gas woke me up and said hey go pay for gas and find out where we are uh i went to the gas station or went to the attendant and when he saw me he looked surprised that i would be there now this is about a saturday night to sunday morning two o'clock in the morning two thirty in the morning and he looked up at me and said what are you doing here and i thought i thought he knew me from what he said where are you going I, I, I got to get back to 95. He said, all right, go this way, make a left, go down. Do not veer from this. And just was, was very matter of fact, like do not veer from this direction. So we go back, go back to the car, very confused. I said, where are we? We were in the Bronx, New York oh. at two thirty in the morning Four white guys. Space. No, four white guys in a car that could have broken down at any minute. And yeah, we were, <laughs> he, he was quite worried for our safekeeping, <laughs> which was nice, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, so uh, the driver got a lot of crap for, for pulling off in the Bronx at 2.30 in the morning uh, on a Saturday night. So yeah. And uh, we then ended up going back to Philadelphia uh and I then went back to Virginia and ended up having a match in, in Virginia. So we were wrestling uh, most of the weekends, Thursday through Sunday, twice on Sunday, some days. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was uh, as I started to slowly go south uh, and west and, and go to Texas and uh, spent time in San Francisco, um, and just all throughout 
wherever I could get matches. Um, and, and, but I, I honestly, I had more fun staying in the areas, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, uh, West Virginia, Tennessee, uh, the most fun I've had with going through Memphis and, uh, and those areas, um, going into Texas. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, the places that I wanted to work for were closed by the time that I was able to work. A lot of the territories were gone. Uh, Georgia was gone. Um, Memphis was still around, thank God. And I did get to go through Memphis, but the world-class Texas was gone, even though it was global, um, working for them a little bit, but it, it still didn't feel the same to me. Um, you know, just a lot of the territories that I wanted to go through or, or dreamed of wrestling and were gone. So it was, in that sense, it was difficult, but you know, what can you do? So you obviously in 30 something years, you had to have wrestled a, a who's who of, of legends and greats. So if you can maybe list some of the wrestlers that you've, you've, you know, competed with and also, are there, you know, was there one or two maybe that really went out of their way to help you as, as you, you know, as you broke into the business? Um, yeah, actually there was a couple, uh, bigger names that did, uh, as far as who I've worked, Oh God. Um, it's, it's a, it's really a who's who's list. I, I've been, like I said before, blessed to be able to be in the ring with some of the, some of the folks um, I've wrestled Gangrel and, and the Blackhearts and um, demolition acts at one point, uh, Ricky Morton um, without Robert Gibson at the time. Uh, and then also the heavenly bodies, uh, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del, Jimmy Del Rey. Rey. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Buddy Landell was, was a big, help to me and and we end up becoming friends uh throughout the time um and he helped me out early in in my career he was bless him i have a story uh we were traveling to baltimore and we did a match in baltimore and buddy landell had to be at his flight in philadelphia within an hour well it's an hour and a half from Philadelphia or to Philadelphia from Baltimore. And I had a girlfriend with a uh, Camaro and he said, Hey, can you give me a ride to Philadelphia airport? I need to get there, you know, by this time, the flight. I said, buddy, I don't know if we'll make it, but yeah, let's go. And we ended up going. And for whatever reason, I wasn't driving as fast uh, as, as he would have liked. Uh, so he asked, he said, he said, Hey, do you mind, you mind pulling over here? I gotta, I gotta pee real quick. And we did. And he came up to me and he said, listen, man, I gotta drive. You're killing me. <laughs> You're <laughs> killing me. Uh, I'm not, never going to make it. So yeah, I ended up, uh, losing that girlfriend because yeah, he, uh, I don't think he went under 150 oh, in, in that car, to, to, but to <laughs> be honest, he made it for his flight. Um, uh, and yeah, and she broke up with me probably the next day, uh, for me allowing him to drive her car, 
her her pride and joy. So, uh, but Buddy, yeah, Buddy's helped me out a lot early in my career. Also, Bam Bam Bigelow helped me out early. Uh, I love Scott and rest in peace, bless his heart. Um, but yeah, as far as I mean, it's a it, it really is a who's who. Um, some of the guys you probably wouldn't know their names. Uh, Glenn Osborne throughout uh, time was very early uh, that I had feuds with him. Uh, probably at least 200 matches with him over time. Um, Stevie Richards. Uh, yeah. I, along with Glenn, was Stevie's trainer originally. Nice. Um, and yeah, we've wrestled a few times. We were actually, it's a funny story, the, uh, for the 30th anniversary, because we were on the original, Stevie and I were on the original uh, ECW show, the very first ECW show. We had a time limit draw uh, in the first match of the very first ECW show. And I had talked to him recently, and we were trying to set up a match for February 25th, which was the 30th anniversary. Uh, and we were going to wrestle each other one more time uh, as the rubber match. But it, uh, we couldn't, I couldn't find anybody to promote the match. So, and I didn't really feel like doing it myself. So it didn't happen, unfortunately. But uh, uh, Stevie, I uh, wrestled him many times. Uh, who else? Sabu, Sandman. Uh, it, it is a who's who's list uh, throughout time. I've been lucky enough to step into the ring with Jimmy Valiant. Uh, that was one of my my favorite matches uh, that happened probably I think 10 years ago by now God, it doesn't feel that long but it is um, I, there's uh, probably a ton of people that I'm forgetting uh, that I have able to work with I actually I was lucky enough to step into Piper's pit uh, before he passed um, and now my I'm going block. I had I had probably well, a bunch of different names, but I, I have been blessed over the the 35 years that I've got to step in there. There's there's few people that I didn't get to wrestle enough. Um, I did wrestle Eddie Gilbert a few times before he passed. Uh, I never got to wrestle Roddy Piper. Uh, that would have been a dream. But, Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I've been blessed to, to, uh, have been in the ring with some of the people that I've been in the ring with. Well, you, you know, let me ask you, you, you talked about where, where you came from in the years past. And obviously some of the names you dropped, Eddie Gilbert, Jimmy Valiant. I mean, these were guys well into their, <clears throat> excuse me, well into the twilights of their careers. So let me ask you then, you know, you, you, Started your career in the in the late '80s. I mean, we've we've got a lot of you know we've got fans of the show that that were children, if not not quite not born yet, when you started, and you're still going strong. So how how uh, do you have a a long term plan? How how long you plan on keep going? You know how long you plan on keep going? How long you plan on keep to to keep wrestling? I I was 
I had always said, um, as long as there was, you know, somebody willing to pay me, I, I would keep going. Uh, but that eventually morphed into as long as I can keep doing what I was doing previously, uh, the way I was doing it and what I wanted to do, I would, I would continue. Um, and that morphed into, well, as long as it's still fun and I get to, you know, come out and, and see people that I haven't seen in a while and, uh, you know, work with people I haven't worked with in a while. Uh, and then that became, uh, well, maybe just a few more years. And then it was like, I, I, I'd like to at least wrestle in every day de- in five different decades. And I got that from Jimmy Valiant. Jimmy Valiant wrestled in like 18 different decades. I think he wrestled in the 1800s. He had yeah, a stagecoach right? stage coach match. I think he had. Yeah, I, I remember that. It was back in the Roman Gladiator days. Right. Um, so <laughs> Roman Coliseum. Yeah, it was. Yeah, very first. The um, so bless him. But he he had told me he said he said sometimes you got to temper your act because but he's he's uh, still wrestling. I don't know. Well, actually, I don't know if he's. I think he's had his eighth eighth retirement match recently. But um, trying to be Terry Funk. A number of retirements. Yeah, but yeah. So, but he said, he said, you got to, you got to temper your act uh, to keep going because there's, there's a lot of things. I like bumping. Um, I was always that, that bumping type of heel, um, and I enjoy that. But I can't do that as much anymore. I, I think not only has my bump card been on both sides, but I've started a new one, <laughs> uh, and you know, it's, it's getting to where I can't anymore it, it, i used to be able to go like i said we'd go thursday through sunday twice on sunday twice on saturday some days and monday morning i was up ready to go again and i wrestle one time now and it takes me three to four weeks to recover <laughs> so i think uh as much as i enjoy it i gotta look at myself and say hey you cannot do what you did 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and then it becomes, do I want to uh, make myself look bad by, by continuing to do, you know, just to be there. So uh, you have to weigh that against each other. Yeah. I, I don't know how much more time that I have. Um, but I, I think I honestly, I've been in semi-retirement for the last couple of years. And uh, I'd still wrestle occasionally. Um, I, again, I want to wrestle in 2022, so I can say that I've wrestled at least every year of the years that I've been in. Um, but I think, yeah, honestly, I don't see much more. And and I'll continue to train people um, to stay in it somehow. Uh, no matter how many times that I've walked away and said, "How oh, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of this shit. Uh, it, it always, it always drags you back. It always drags you back somehow. Um, I always miss it very much. Um, so yeah, I don't see myself leaving fully, but I don't see myself wrestling as much anymore as previous. So, 
Are you going to end up like the uh, like the like the stones and some kiss and do, you know, 12 or 15 farewell tours over the next few years? No, no. I, I think, honestly, if I just I don't see a tour, I don't, I don't see much of the tours. Like I said, I'll, I'll wrestle occasional matches, um, but I can't be expected to. Uh, now in my career, say, hey, you know, I, I want to wrestle this guy or I want to wrestle this guy, uh, but I don't want to wrestle them. So it's 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 difficult to go to a promoter and say, hey, you know, if I can pick who I want to wrestle, then then I'll come wrestle for you. Um, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I'll still wrestle occasionally. Um, somebody, I'm sure something will call me out to to be out there. But other than that, I think it's it's I don't want to to have to do that of, of yeah, this will be my final shot. And, you know, two years later, Oh no, one more time. So, uh, like I said, whatever the future holds, whatever it'll be. Um, but I don't see it as much full time as it has been in years past. Okay. Well, you talked about the peak of your career, or I should say the peak, excuse me, the, the start of your career. You mentioned a lot of tag teams and, and you said something like 10 different partners. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm curious with, with the name, with the name, Jimmy Janetti, obviously at the time you would have been bouncing around the tag teams. Another big name in wrestling at the time was Marty Janetti. And I'm curious one, if there was any affiliation, uh, did you ever wrestle together? Were you ever on a card together? And two, did you ever have to deal with confusion from fans or even promoters? The horror stories we've heard before of people booking the wrong guy. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I met Marty in, it was actually, we, we met in Maryland, um, and yeah, we ended up, uh, against each matches. I was part of a tag team for MEWF and, and actually part, wherever I was wrestling, uh, one of the main tag teams that I had done was, uh, with, uh, Rich Myers, Ramblin' Rich Myers, uh, who was out of Maryland. We were known as Marvelous Incorporated. Um, my manager, our manager at the time was my fiance, was Mitzi Billion. And we traveled around everywhere. I think we had at one time, like probably like five or six different local tag team title uh, throughout the Northeast and, and uh, Virginia and, and West Virginia. Um, and we ended up for in Maryland, we ended up breaking up the tag team, uh, where I went by myself and, and affiliated myself with Raven, uh, and Stevie Richards at the time. And, uh, my tag team partner went out and found a partner, uh, Marty Gennetti. So it was, we, we ended up having a small feud of, uh, it was Raven and I against Rich and Marty Gennetti and, uh, did that on a few occasions. Um, I had talked to him about maybe doing something because at this time when we were uh, doing that, that feud, uh, he was gone from, uh, Shawn Michaels and, and I think he was gone, obviously he was gone from. WWF at the time, um, but to to team up together and, and he didn't really seem into it, <laughs> so I was okay. 
Um, and luckily, luckily for me, because uh, from what I've heard, and, and obviously, bless his heart, you know, I feel for him, but he's not the, the most normal person. No, that's an understatement. And, and yeah, as you were saying, confusion uh, with people. Uh, what I would get, people always thought, it was like, oh, with the name of Genetti, you must have got booked, you know, everywhere. No, everywhere I went, I got warnings of don't do the shit that your namesake did. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to curse, but. Oh, it's quite uh, all right. Okay. So uh, you, don't, you don't plan on going on Twitter and randomly confessing to killing someone at a bowling alley? No, no, that's not me. That's no, no. That's the other genetic. Yeah, no. I, I would not have been the one, wanted to have been the one that he would have killed in that random bowling alley. But if we would have teamed up, that probably would have happened. <laughs> um, but uh, and and ended up where he went with uh, with Al Snow, or they put him with Al Snow as the as the new rockers and blah blah blah. And it was funny years ago, uh, a couple years ago, somebody had asked me on Twitter, uh, said, "How come you never, or how why did you never team up with Marty and, for the new rockers?" And I told people that Al Snow lost the coin cross. Right. So, yeah, it was uh, he got stuck with it and I was lucky to, to get away from that. So, no, I, I had. But and, and he was he was nice enough to me. Um, I don't think he was very happy. With me having that last name. Um, he never said anything to me. But. We have not spoken since that point, <laughs> and uh, he would never uh, be on uh, Facebook with me or anything else. So I, I don't know how he feels. I don't know if anybody's ever asked him. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that would have ever happened. Uh, and I'm and I'm glad nowadays that it hasn't. So <laughs> I already had one crazy tag team partner that ended up killing somebody and. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't need another one. Jeez. That, that, yeah, the, the original one that I, that I told you about, my original tag team partner was Rockin' Rebel, uh, who was Chuck Williams, who was, unfortunately, a few years ago, went crazy and killed his wife and himself. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was getting a lot of questions back then, and we hadn't wrestled gotten and since 2001 I think was the last time we wrestled and this happened in 2014 or 2015 so yeah I, 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 I that was enough for me <laughs> that was enough crazy tag team partners you know when you mentioned uh, that name earlier I, I'm thinking like where did I hear that name before and both Dan and I write for a it's called pro wrestling stories uh, website and then it kind of clicked in rock and rebel one of I, I forgot who wrote the story but it was about him and it was exactly what you said so when you said it, I was like i know who that is so just yeah, yeah now now it, it, it's all coming back but one of the things i was going to ask too was you had mentioned earlier about the use of a high spot like diving out of the ring and you you, right. ma you made it a point of telling uh whoever asked you that you didn't do it every match and you know it, it, you you used it when you thought it was it was going to add value to the match and so what I was going to ask you is, 
in the last 30 some odd years, how how have you seen wrestling evolve? I mean, obviously now if you watch AEW or even you know WWE, it's just to me it's just an exchange of high spots. So how how, yeah. how has it evolved in the last 35 years? Uh, well, exactly what you said. It's become it's become more of the circus, um, less legitimate, and and they don't even try now uh, to keep that. Uh, you know, the kayfabe is gone. Um, uh, they do 35 moves. They think they're Superman. They don't sell anything. Nowadays, it, it's just that show. It's like a dance. They're going out there to have a dance. And the moves, instead of the moves actually meaning something, uh, that you're doing that move for a reason, it just becomes they're doing it for the oohs and ahs. Um, so it wrestling has wrestling has always evolved, even before, way before I got in it. You know, in the 50s and the 60s, a vertical suplex was a finish. Yes. That that changed throughout the 70s and 80s. And, and now. so wrestling has always evolved. But the one thing that it uh, that it had originally that it doesn't have now is it's still kept to the original traditions of moves are done for a reason. They're sold correctly. They're, they're telling a story uh, in the ring. Basically, and with the independence especially, you don't have television to be able to tell your story of what you're doing. So the match, when you're in front of uh, an independent crowd, that match, you're telling the story with that match. That has always been the way. That is not the way now. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know when it exactly changed, but now it's, as you say, it's constant movement. It's uh, nothing but spot, 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 spot. And there's no definitive story. There's no reasoning behind some of the, major moves that they do except for the oohs and ahs of the crowd and that to me just it doesn't make sense if you if you do a dive out on somebody and they're just standing there waiting to catch you what sense does that make what why are you doing that people can see that obviously this wouldn't be a normal situation and wrestling fans are, are great people i guarantee even throughout all of this of mcmahon telling you know the whole world what it is and everything else i guarantee you could find 11 wrestling fans that will fight you if you tell them wrestling is fixed they will say no it's not i guarantee you could find 11 people like that wrestling fans are weird they will let you they want you to suspend their belief but only so far, there's a point. If you do stuff that just doesn't make sense, the wrestling fans are going to shit on you. Right. And that's what it is now. But there's so many new fans that like that constant movement, the spot, spot, spot. Um, one, of the, one of the tag teams that I, or people, wrestlers that I loathe are the Young Bucks can't stand the young bucks one thing i can say about them is they are honest they are honest 
they they oh, and they know I don't like them unfortunately you know uh, but uh, they are at least honest in what they say of you know have have they put out their book killing the business and so at least they're honest about it and I'm I'm an avid uh, listener of Jim Cornette I've I've always liked Jim Cornette uh, I was lucky enough to work one of the shows in Smoky Mountain. Uh, got my ass kicked by Brian Lee, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I listened to him and, and, uh, he basically says that, that, and I agree with this, that they couldn't do the business correctly. So they, they're making the business what they can do. And it's, it's not what it should be today. Because even though wrestling does evolve, the things that shouldn't evolve is, look, you're not Superman. I'm sorry. If you take five super kicks, what does that say? Either you've got some lame super kicks or they're not real. So these kids aren't superheroes. You know, even Batman sells. Even Batman gets beat up. Sorry, does. And I'm, I'm a huge Batman fan. Even Superman has died once for Christ's sake. So you are not superheroes. And I tell when the people that I've trained now, I tell them this, I'm like, you're not superheroes to, to take four different super kicks and, and doesn't make sense. And the people don't believe it. And that's the differences now compared to, you know, uh, throughout the nineties and, and it started to change then. Um, but it's, it's been in, in, even in the last 10 years, it's been more prevalent than ever, uh, with the advent of ring of honor, um, Chikara, uh, it's just constant movement. It's, uh, I can't keep up with it most of the time. So. And understand that you'll, you'll get no argument from Benny and I on any of that Absolutely idea. Not. We, we've we've talked about it many times on the show. The 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 big thing you mentioned, Jim Cornette, that he's he's always harping on is the death of the death of in ring psychology. Like you know, you you're you you end up looking more like a. He he always said you you looks more like a stunt show you'd see at an amusement park uh, like a like Disney World than it does right. an actual fight. And and once once the the belief that these two people aren't actually trying to win and, and they're clearly working together. It kills it. Ki- even, even if you understand that what you're watching isn't real per se, it kills the entertainment value. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, one of the things, uh, somebody sent me a match, uh, last week and, uh, because I, I send matches to, to people of, uh, that I'm training or working with uh, to send matches. They're like, you know, and I, and I tell them, look, watch I don't want you to be this person. I want you to see how they react, watch how they react, watch how they do what they're doing, whether they're beating on somebody or they're taking the beating, watch what they're doing and understand what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. That's what I would rather have. I don't want you to be Jerry Lawler. 
I want you to, you know, but they, I, they sent me a match of, and I don't think I've ever seen this match. Um, it was uh, from 1985. It was Rick Martell versus Jerry Lawler for the AWA heavyweight championship. Um, I was more fascinated and more engrossed in that match than any match that I've saw. I watched Royal Rumble. I watched last year's WrestleMania than any match. And I watched a little bit of AEW. I try not to, though. I really do. Stuff's garbage. But anything that they were doing, it held my attention more in that uh, match from 1985 than anything that I've seen in the last few years. Now, with CM Punk coming in and doing uh, some of these programs, and and I know some, uh, I didn't see the match or I see the pay-per-view, but I heard a lot of people debuted this past weekend for them. Um, and maybe that'll start to change now with, uh, with Punk and MJF, what they're doing. But other than that, I just, I can't watch the current product. It just does not hold my attention the way it was. And I've told people this, that, that, uh, that I've trained. I don't know if I was watching today for the first time, rather than watching almost 40 years ago, I don't know if I would be a wrestling fan watching today's product as compared to when I started. So if you had never put a match in front of me before and I started with this, I don't know if I'd watch this or have been a wrestling fan uh, or have been a wrestler throughout the time if this was what it was. So I just, yeah, I can't do this. Not, the current product just doesn't sit with me. I can, uh, I can understand that. Unfortunately, ratings and and ticket sales and all compared to what it was back in back when you got started and when you got into it have, have really reflected that and you know benny we say it every week time flies i feel like we could keep doing this and barely scratch the surface uh jimmy we're i mean we'll have to definitely have to have you back on i feel like there's so many more stories and conversations we could have but before we let you go, um, we did talk before the, the show. You've got some stuff coming up. What uh, what can we expect to see? Well, what's the future hold of plans for uh, Jimmy Gennetti here? Uh, for right now, I, I am uh, working with the, the CCW out of uh, Coral Gables, Florida. Um, they have a show coming up this week. Uh, it'll be in Homestead, Florida on uh, March 12th. Uh, if you're in the area, check it out. Uh, go to ccwwrestling.com for for tickets, um, and and do so if you're in the Virginia area. Even if you do not uh, want to become a wrestler, go to the Jimmy Valiant uh, Boogie's Wrestling Camp. It is a museum. It's it, sweetest people you'll ever meet. Uh, Sundays, it's, it's open air. You can go there and check out all the memorabilia, uh, that he has. And, and I hope everybody, if they're in the Virginia area, will, will go and do that or, or even around the Virginia area. It's so easy to get to, uh, even though it is 30 miles from parts on road, uh, <laughs> and, and your cell phone probably won't work. 
But no, it won't. <laughs> I can yeah, attest. Either, yeah, uh, it's terrible. But either way, but yeah, do go visit those folks and, and yeah. And so and and I will eventually. Uh, I think in October is next graduation. Uh, I will be back up uh, at the camp. So and and until then, you never know. Uh, I will be around. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. We've got uh, like we got a lot of great stories tonight, and we'll definitely have to have you back on tell tell more stories. I know there's so much more to go into. We appreciate your candor, your uh, your thoughts, and and not pulling any punches. So great I, stuff. I appreciate you guys. Good to, good to talk to you, and we'll do it again. Our pleasure. Absolutely, sir. You have yourself a good evening. You too. Thanks, guys. Take care. Good night. Benny, there's another one. Uh, just story stories that you don't get with, without really asking asking the fun questions and the life on the road. It's crazy to think how much stuff's changed and and the way he was able to put it in perspective from 30 years ago to now. And even like just the, the thought of like driving five hours in a snowstorm with a busted convertible, and you know you're getting you know you're getting snowed on literally just yeah. to wrestle a match. For 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 probably probably fifty bucks in a sandwich, right. right? I mean, and I mean, one of the things I always try to impress on people is, you know, when you see an old school wrestler, say thank you to them because, you know, when you think about what they had to do, what they had to put up with, you know, all the injuries and the you know the driving and the road trips and you know probably not eating the best food and just to wrestle in front of them for fifteen minutes, um, for not a lot of money in all likelihood. Yeah, they made a huge sacrifice. I mean, it's like you hear it when whenever they talk about the past in whatever sport or incident, you know, they say uh, that he had to walk so that you could run or you could fly. And I mean, the talent today, I, I hope they appreciate just the the honestly terrible life that a lot of their predecessors had. Just for just not not just for the love of the business, but the 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 hope that you know what I'm doing is going to cement something that that my kids and future generations can can have a better you know like they say your parents worked hard to give you a better life. A lot of these right. guys in the past knew, hey, hopefully one day things get better for these kids, and and I, I just hope the talent today appreciates what they've done. I mean, look at uh, we had Paige von Hess Sutherland on a few weeks ago. What I think she said 17 times in 10 years they had to move. Can you imagine yeah. that? You're basically yeah. living in a U-Haul. And, and, you know, imagine, like, you know, you move in April or May. You go into a new school. You got maybe a, a month to make friends with somebody who you can hang out with in the summer. And in, in all likelihood, by the time September rolls around, you might be back on the road again. Yeah, I mean, 17 times in 10 years, that's that's. I mean, several times worse than a military family. You might move every couple years in the military. Yeah, move it, move, Se- yeah. 17 times in 10 years, you're moving every few months. Right. Crazy. Uh, what's the, uh, Benny, you, yeah, how's, uh, before we let you go, you, you mentioned it before we uh, started recording. Any uh, any any spoilers on, on the upcoming d- design of your, your ring gear for your honorary induction? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll divulge it. So uh, uh, my, my thought is, and I want to use these the Superman colors, because I do have a tattoo on my back, even though it was, uh, it was done by an enhancement talent, I think. Um, not very good tattoo artist. Uh, but I, 
I like my initials BS, obviously, and I actually have BS tattooed with the Superman crest. Um, and so, which I think I need to get redone. But I would like to, you know, the, my ring vest to be the BS Express and have that logo. And I'm sure Angel's going to do a million times better job of the the crest than whoever gave me the tattoo. So yeah, that's what it's going to be. I love it. Always good stuff, Benny. Plenty of plenty of good stories coming up. We're uh, well into March already. Years just flying by, and we keep chugging along. And we wouldn't be able to do it without the the many many chances we've been given and and we hope to make the best of it fans and friends out there alike so Absolutely. for the bs express himself benny scala i'm dan spash channel have a good night everyone and we will see you next time we're in the ring night and safe safe